I'm Dupree Scoville, and this is how you sell without selling out. Roger's that. Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, and welcome to Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. Today, we have someone who has sold a lot, has sold a lot of real estate, has sold a lot of opportunity, has sold a lot of vision. And uh, this is my buddy, Dupree Scoville. I've known him for a long time. We became close friends uh, not that long ago. And when I think of Dupree, I think of someone who just embodies uniqueness. And I think of somebody who embraces uh, what a true leader is supposed to be. And I think of someone who is a torch uh, bearer. I think of a guy that has uh, embraced the fact that his family is one of the reasons Dallas is such a, a special city and has such uniqueness. And with a name like Dupree or a name like Rogers, you, you kind of are just born with the ability to have to tell the story. And so when I first met him, uh, it was probably 15 or 20 years ago, and I just felt this gravitational force to go talk to him. And I think for the first time, I felt like I met somebody who needs to just be not a politician, but in a position of, of uh, empowerment because he just had something to him. And, and I just kind of kept following it and would watch it from the news, would watch it from social media, and would watch it just from stories, and finally just decided to go get lunch with him. And uh, had a great lunch and learned a lot about his family's background, learned a lot learned a lot about his story. A lot of y'all that are listening and watching today, you know the Scoville family because uh, they're tycoons in, in the real estate industry, from hotels to you know multifamily to office, and they've built Woodbine into an absolute monster of a company. But what I love about Dupree is he's taken the helm and he's doing it his way. And I think that people that work in family industries sometimes lose sight of the fact that they can make it their own family industry. Uh, and so long-winded uh, story, he's a Texas Tech legend. He has a statue uh, of himself outside the football field uh, and uh, decided not to go play in the NFL because he wanted to go and play in real estate. So with all that being said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dupree. Thank you. I was the greatest holder of all time really? in Texas history. Ever? Yeah, well, that's not a deep category but yeah yeah all you texas tech fans they are retiring his jersey yeah, this year this year um mahomes was the is the i'm he's the opener yeah mahomes is opening and then i'm closing yeah um so so good. Uh, who is dupree i mean like obviously even with the name i've spent 43 years telling people that my name is rogers right and i feel like <laughs> dupree might even be more more unique what's what's the story of dupree uh, the story is of the name is was my grandmother's maiden name really so Mary Dupree Scoville. Now our whole family goes by family names, and almost all are middle names. So my first name is Tyler, so it's Tyler Dupree. But then our names just get stranger. My son is Tanana Stone. He goes by Stone. All family names. So what? What Stone or Tanana? Both families. So really? Tanana was his grandfather's, or is his grandfather's last name. He had four girls. The name would go away if we didn't, if we didn't go with that for him. And so actually I came out and I told Jill's dad his name is Tanana Stone. He looked at me like, come on. Like, really? Like, almost like like you're joking. You couldn't have possibly named him Tanana. You had, like, to, yeah. up, you had to one-up oh, Dupree. Tanana Stone. So he goes by Stone, which was my other grandmother's maiden, great-grandmother's maiden name. And then it just goes on from there. From from We got a Skip. We got a JS. We got a Louie. We've got a Birdie. We got Cato. We got all kinds of things going on in the— King. Yeah, well, King, my brother, and Field, my so older brother. Those are both family names, too? Those both family names also. It's, you got lucky because you know, my name is Rogers because it was my mom's maiden name. And most people don't know that. But, you know, my best friend growing up was a guy named Keys because that was his mom's maiden name. But mm -hmm. you guys, you got lucky in the maiden name department because King and Stone and Dupree and Field are 
those are, work out. Yeah, those those are strong yeah, they, names. Those are good. We, it works out. I have a. You, I never leave it on the Starbucks to go order. Like that's too hard. Really? It's just Tyler. Oh, okay. Fair du, enough. Dupree would be impossible. Ne- never for reservations. Never for. It's just like that's too hard. Like, what about your books? Did you? I, I your books day for me was hell <laughs> every year. It was always Roger S. Healy, Richards, Roger Roberts. I never got Rogers. Was that? We had yearbooks at Hillcrest. I don't remember doing like a signing thing though. Well, I'm saying like your name. They never spelled my name correctly oh, well, in the like, yearbook. Teachers always say Tyler, and uh, then I'm then that's so for Stone that's tough when the teacher's like, "Is Tanana here?" Tanana. Ugh. Okay. Well, I think you'll I think you'll be okay. Be right. So like, let's talk about childhood aspirations. I mean, you're again, you're born into a family of just titans. Yeah. And you have to own that. And your name is Dupree. And as a kid, you know, you're, you find sports, you find different outlets. But as a kid, did you think that real estate was the eventual goal? No, I don't think I did. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I was, had that much of a vision when I was younger. The thing that was helpful for me is growing up uh, with my grandfather, who was a, he was a neat guy, a special guy. So that was the first field in our family. That was John Field Scoville. And he went by field. We called him Pop-Pop. And... Uh, he was a he was called Dallas's greatest salesman. Some journalist somewhere said like that's what he is, and mm. so I I always loved that kind of moniker for him. Now he was also a guy that was he he genuinely believed it was it never mattered who gave who got the credit. In fact, his he would always deflect and always it was never him. It was never him, and he was he you was remember a, this even as a kid for sure. I mean, he was a titan. Like this guy was. He, he helped start the Cotton Bowl, um, one of many things. He helped bring the Cowboys to Dallas. He was, part, I mean, you name it, if it was involving kind of big sports moves in Dallas, uh, he was he was involved with it. And and that was, in the fact, there was an award for many years called the Field Scoville Award. So Arthur Ashe, Nolan Ryan, Troy Aikman, Bear Bryant, Joe, I mean, literally, you name it, like mm. somebody got that award that was pretty special at the time. Um, and I, I kind of got to go to those things and see that. And so from a very young age, I kind of started learning what it meant to grow up under that shadow. Um, is that what it felt like? Uh, yes, but not in a bad way. It never felt like the, I've got to live up to that shadow. It was almost like I want to aspire to, to some element of that. But I think part of it was just his humility was, was just so, um, contagious that, he never thought he was a big deal. And so we never thought he was a big deal. And then we never thought we were a big deal. And so then I've seen that even with my dad, you know, who's, uh, I, I would say, I, I would, I'd probably genuinely say, I think my dad is probably the most humble person that I know. And I mentioned that to you because what, what I've seen speaking earlier of the transition of our business as a founder I would have had a much harder time transitioning the business, I would think, to my kids than my dad did. Um, but he always had an attitude that was, look, just because this is the way we've done it um, doesn't mean it's the way we need to do it. And he was very empowering for my brother and I when we got involved in the business, and we'll fast forward to that a little bit later. But when you have an example of... Say that again, though. He's, he, he found a way to organically show you that just because he's done it this way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. That was, was kind of the freedom that we needed, my brother and I, King, who's in the business with me, to be able to say, okay, we can put our mark on this. We can Now, we had to earn that say first. We didn't come in saying, okay, let's blow this thing up. We were the first ones there, we're the last ones to leave. We needed to prove that these, these kids coming in this business are, are, 
are legitimate. Right? They're not, they're, they weren't given anything. And so I think, I hope that our team past and present would say that, that, uh, that they'll, if nothing else, they're pace setters. They'll, they'll run that race really hard and really fast and kind of, and, and go through it. And so once we earned that voice and we felt like that was, and over many years felt like we could insert kind of our view on where the business needed to go, we were able to do that. But that doesn't happen unless you've got the humility of a founder who says, all right, I'm, I'm giving you enough rope to go. And so that, and that's what our dad did. And I don't, I don't think there's many founders that do that. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about, you, you kind of just nonchalantly mentioned some pretty incredible things that your family has been a part of <laughs> in, in, in Dallas. Seriously. And, and people that are watching this, it's not just Dallas people, but the Cowboys, you know, the Cotton Bowl, what other stuff? I mean, I, I've, I've seen and heard the name for four Yeah. Decades. I mean, he, uh, literally you name it. I mean, uh, the, whether it was the Rangers or whether it was uh, Final Four or whether it was, uh, or, or, I mean, even before the Cowboys when it was, uh, what were they called? The Texans? I mean, it was the Texans. Yeah, I, think. I mean, literally that, those are the things that the first thing people would do is they'd call him and they'd say, hey, we want, something needs to happen in Dallas. How do we make that happen? Now, he was a, he worked for Rawlings, Rawlings Sporting Goods. He would say he was a jockey your strap. Your grandpa? Your grandpa? Yeah. He was like, I'm a jockey strap salesman. That's what I do. Like, that's the, but he, that was kind of how he just embodied himself. You know, somebody's like, this guy's a jock strap salesman, but he knew every coach in the entire U.S. He could call Paterno, like I said, Bear Bryan, Grant Taff, you name any of the legendary coaches, he could pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, you need to come play in the Cotton Bowl. So let me, I want to dig deeper on something like this. This is not something that was prepped, but. I always want I want to try to be the most humble version of me possible too and I think there's maybe some little hacks that I have to put into play and having a kid obviously you know catalyzes it differently but even with that like obviously your grandpa knew what he was doing sure. just like you know what you're doing and you you know every award under the sun you've gotten every recognition you've gotten you have access to all these different people but I think that it's almost this aura about you that maybe you have to go and subscribe to and is that something you think you learned from your family where you know he was not a jockey he was not a jockstrap salesman seriously but i think that there's got to be some kind of game or something that you have to just commit to that maybe you're never going to be satisfied or you're always i don't don't know i don't know how to describe it but it's it's genuine and i think that if you saw that growing up what do you feel like were the real takeaways from it um i don't think i could have put my i don't think i could have put um i don't think i could have put my finger on it until i came to know the lord (laughs) So the the humility is manufactured, I think, in many ways outside of that, and and that's may not be a fully fair statement, but like once you, I think once you understand what your position is before the God that we serve, it's like there's not a whole lot that you can do to stand up and say I deserve this, I did this, I earned this. In fact, quite the opposite. You look at everything and going, my goodness, the abundance of grace has been you know, given to us in so many ways, whether it was something successful in business or the really, really hard times of business where you're, you're working through a pandemic when you own a lot of hotels. That's the thing. I mean, humility is not for, humility is not for successful people. Humility is not for broken people. Humility is just like a state of your heart that I think the Lord begins to really work on. And, you know, for a kid who, I mean, every kid goes through this, the insecurities of like, who am I? What am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? 
that insecurity doesn't go away. I think you start to learn to go, okay, well, I have two ways to confront that. I either confront those insecurities with, I'm, I'm going to project this image of great success and gr I can conquer anything and I can do anything, or the image of going, hey, what a gift, the things that have happened, good or bad, and like we're just we're just going to kind of run this race. Every hurdle that comes, we're going to go over it one by one, and we're not going to take credit for it whether we fall or whether we make it over. Um, at the end of the day, like w whatever that outcome is, you kind of have to be proud of the work you did and what you did getting there. And so I think that's where humility becomes to be a thing that, that is not a, not a gift you're born with. I think it's something you kind of learn over time. And that's seeing my grandfather do that, seeing my dad do that has changed was a very what what is a very prideful person speaking of myself uh, and what has pro hopefully just kind of softened some of those edges over many years and softened a lot of that kind of hard granite of pride over many years that's kind of brought me to this place when now there's a, a long way to go loaded question sure. um growing up uh i'll lead I sucked at a lot of things growing up and I, I lost, I lost at a lot of things growing up. And I don't know if I really tried until I was older. Did you ever have to experience failure? Um, you know, as a adolescent and as a teen and maybe, maybe even as a, as a young college kid. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, life defining moments, moments always come through failure. The, the, I mean, sometimes they come through success, but more often than not, they come through failure. So, I mean, look, you grew up, the the pressure was not easy to deal with it was just it was it was something that i had a lot of practice learning so being under my grandfather and seeing what he did being under my dad who was this really successful um you know in the papers a lot now my mom who in her own right has you know has probably done more things civically for Dallas than than even my dad has but them two together you're kind of seeing all this stuff that they're doing did you feel pre did you feel pressure as a kid um i think where i felt pressure was my two older brothers were great athletes i was for sure the worst athlete of the three and they had these really great um careers high school careers and went on to go play college football and so then when that's where I really started owning that pressure. I get to, uh, let's just go, you know, Friday Night Lights here for a minute. But when I was in high school, senior year, I'd kind of had a bumpy getting up to that point. But I, I will say there's a lot about leadership that I learned at that moment. But fast forward to kind of the main point of the story, I break my collarbone the first game of my senior year. Mm. Now, I don't know that I would have gotten any scholarships, but I can at least say that because of my collarbone, they were all gone. <laughs> Had they come. Um, and so I really had one option if I wanted to play college football. And that was really Texas Tech because I was a known quantity there. My two brothers had played there. My dad had played there. Um, and so for me, it was really one of those things where I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I guess that's what I'm going to do. So I follow in that path. And th that, I don't know that I would have chosen that on my own. <laughs> I think I chose that because that's what we do. That's what Scovels did. <laughs> you went to Preston Hollow. Then you went to Franklin, then you went to Hillcrest, then you went to Texas Tech, and you played football there. And so that was the – so I think some of that uh, pressure, maybe not in a really oppressive way, but led me down that path. I'm grateful for it, but I don't know that I would have cho chosen it independently. Hmm. Okay, let's talk about hospitality. Which, right, let's go. Uh, uh, describe the word hospitality to me, however you would define it to your kids. Uh, well, it, a biblical virtue of 
the most ancient and cherished, uh, one of the most ancient and cherished in Scripture. I go to go to Jesus being born. I just go to Joseph and Mary, right? Going to the census, going to Bethlehem, making their way to an inn. It's sold out because the whole town is, you know, has a convention. And so they're going, all right, well, well where are we going to go? My guess is that innkeeper, not in a, in a, you know, discard, discarded way, but in a really genuine, compassionate way says, Hey, I can't help you here, but I can offer this. It's all I've got. But given the situation you're in, like, let me help. But that's the one where I feel like when you go to, when you go to that moment, that is a defining, that, that's, a, that's a thing that particularly in that culture, they uphold with like great courage to be able to say, anybody who stops by any time of night, like we'll host and we'll bring in. And so that's probably why I find great meaning in what we do. Because it is, in some ways, it's fulfilling that commission that was, you know, handed down, you know, nearly a couple thousand years ago. Does it upset you that Woodbine was not a part of that hotel? <laughs> well, they had good occupancy that night. I don't know how it was the rest of the year, yeah. but at least that night they were doing all right. Yeah. Um, I just think it's, it's, I don't know if it's ironic or coincidental, but you just, again, you're, you're, you, you scream hospitality and you do it just from your, you know, your presence. But in the world of hospitality in, in, in the industry, I mean, like, obviously, let's, let's talk about the real estate side and the, and the world sure. side of it. You know, your, your family houses people for a living. Your family goes and creates experiences for a living. Your family are trendsetters. They're pay setters, et cetera. You know, how do you go and take your creative mind into that space that maybe has not truly been disrupted other than maybe something like a short-term rental from an Airbnb Etc. How do you go and put your own twist on it, knowing that you are, you know, a unique leader, a unique individual? Well, I think look, that, that that's a there's a lot to that. When we've been fortunate to be involved with some really neat projects, um, there was a guy named Kit Goldsbury, uh, who um, a remarkable businessman, a remarkable leader, and he has uh, a real estate company called Silver Ventures. Um, a guy named Bill Schoen runs, and they. They had a vision for the Riverwalk in San Antonio to say, hey, they're, they're, we should do something like next level good. So they brought us uh, along, got us involved, to, and trusted us to help help them kind of explore this vision. No, this was Hotel Emma. Oh, uh, The Riverwalk was years before us. But, but this was Hotel Emma in San Antonio, which became has become kind of one of the most special hotels in the state. Um. Years before that, we were able to do Hyatt Hill Country in San Antonio, which was... Y'all did Hyatt Hill Country? Uh-huh. And still have that one today. And that was my dad's vision to say, hey, there's not a destination resort here in Texas. Why don't we do something really special like that? And now you can go, look, there's been literally now three generations of families that have gone there. They've taken their kids there, have done the Lazy River thing, and we're making a huge investment in that right now. So my brother and I kind of get to be in the really unique position We've grown up going to this resort, and now we kind of get to say, hey, for almost like our business, we're in a unique point in time where we can come in this thing and go, hey, what are all the things that need to happen here that would take this to a totally another level? Are you upset you didn't think of Margaritaville? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, they've done all right. They've done awesome. They've done all right. They've done awesome. Well, <laughs> I mean, a, where, where does it go, though? I mean, like, where does your mind, do you have to limit your creativity or your imagination? What would be you know, something that's achievable and that, that is going to be your your thing when you look back on your career 
in the world of hospitality development? Oh, I, I think um, it would be much less about the project. I, I always appreciated my dad's perspective on this. So he never wanted people to know who Woodbine was. He was always like, I just want them to know our projects. I don't need them to know who Woodbine is. Um, and I think that's a, again, that's just kind of a sign of who he is. But for probably for my, I, I don't know that my mark, I want to say, is going to be some game-changing hotel project. I love the creative side. I love the design side. But at the end of the day, like in the hospitality space, you're serving the customer that's staying at Hotel Emma or Hyde Hill Country, but you're also serving somebody who's staying in Midland, Texas, on the, you know, that's there for work for two nights in a courtyard by Marriott or a, you know, something else. And so I think we want to be excellent in that. I think if you were to say what's what's the mark that I would want to leave, I wouldn't say it's some game-changing hospitality thing. It would be to say, look, I, I want to be a shepherd. That's what I feel like we're called to do on our business. We want to build a great team, uh, actually an enduring company with a great team. That's kind of where I feel like our calling is for to lead our business. So less about the big splashy project and more about saying, how do, how do we do that? My dad built this business and ran it for about 35 years before my brother and I got involved. And we feel almost almost an obligation in a way to fulfill a bit of the unfinished vision that my dad created to be able to say, we want to make sure Woodbine does the same thing for another, this is our 50th year. We'd love to see that happen another 50 years. So a little bit of a left turn on your question, but that's probably, no. that's where my heart and head would go. Yeah. On, maybe on at my frat boy was like, is there a super Mario themed hotel? <laughs> or are you going to do something that, um, yeah, it's just sure. sports, but yeah, it's, yeah, again, it just brings it back to you just owning and defining hospitality. So let, let's talk about the future of commercial real estate sure. and talk about the fact that you guys have a pulse on it different than anybody, whether it's in Dallas, whether it's in Denver or whether it's in Dubai Yeah, on that perspective, like on, on that lane, where do you see this thing going? I mean, is, is real estate, is it disruptable? I mean, do you, do you feel like we're going to be, you know, same kind of footprint in our generation or what, what could potentially change? Well, I think, I think there's, there's a there's a lot to that question. Actually, my my heart goes a different way. I'll give you the cerebral answer. Yeah. First, on just I think there's I don't know of other of other industry segments, property segments, where you have had legitimate existential crises more than the hotel industry has. So if you think about just the past, you know, just the past ten years. We'll, we'll have faced two recessions. We'll have seen, seen a two-year pandemic, and we will have weathered the Airbnb thing. Thing. So, I mean, th those are legitimate five events that could have threatened, like, the livelihood, or did threaten the livelihood of the industry, at least for a period of time. That didn't happen in industrial. That didn't happen in multifamily. Office right now is the first time that's happened to them. So you kind of go, like, that. that's a hard business to be in. Yeah. So we look at it and we say, okay, we, there is some diversification that has to happen within the hospitality segment from luxury all the way down to economy. Um, but then also it, it's got to push us as a business to go, hey, is this where we need to spend 100% of our effort or do we need to be in industrial? Do we need to be in multifamily? Do we need to be in office? So like any good crisis, it really has forced us to think about the other things. Like any good crisis. Do you look at yeah. that? Always just finding <laughs> the, the positive. I love a good crisis, yeah. you know? Thank That's God, a, another recession, another a world biggest. pandemic. Well, after the pandemic, we were kind of like, look, take your best shot. Like weathering that storm with the team that we had and keeping that group intact, I was kind of like, look, like recession or not, whenever it comes, like, 
literally just put take your gloves off and give me your best shot. Like that's how confident I am in our team's ability to kind of go through that really hard season. So did you get excited about other extensions, other verticals where again, hospitality was y'all's bread and butter? Was there something that you always wanted to go and explore? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's where the, this, this idea to kind of get into industrial started with a big land purchase, um, that, that, uh, that should allow us to grow a vertical there. A friend of mine from, from high school was in commercial brokerage, wanted to create something. So we kind of recruited him over to help start that. Shout out to Alexis. Uh, yeah, there you go. Alexis yeah. Martinez doing this thing. Uh, and then, you know, that's, that's the same with office, even though as crazy as that environment feels, I look at it and go, there's a way to take hospitality into office that hasn't been done yet. And so those are the types of things that get us excited. But again, I don't know that it's, um, yeah, well, anyway, th- that's, that's where we get. No, it's fun. It's, it's fun that you, again, I think that, you know, unfortunately the pandemic was, it, there was a lot of positive that came out of it. You know, I think yeah. a lot of opportunity for people that move at a really fast pace to, I was for the first time in my adult life, I pressed pause yeah. and I was like, stuff like this, like how can I go and do things that are exciting yeah. to me that it's not just this one lane that I thought I had to be stuck in. And you know, the thing about where, where my head and maybe heart went when you first asked the question though, was where do I, like, what do I think happens to the business? I, I do think forgetting all things real estate which is you're in the at the end of the day you're in the people business you're you are in the property business but you are in the people business mm-hmm. right? i mean that's not not new you've built built a sales team that's like <laughs> remarkable in a really short period of time the the thing that i think our business has a chance to look back i think on this season which it, it won't be as obvious i think 10 years from now but i think it's this moment i think i really do feel like from a diversity perspective because of the effort that the JLLs and the CBREs and the Cushmans of the world are putting into that particular idea that, hey, we need to broaden and deepen and diversify our business away from old white men. I think think we're like seeing that sea change right now. So I think it'll be really interesting to look at it 10 years from now and look back and go, that's the moment when our industry kind of finally became diverse. Yeah. Not equitable, but diverse. And I think it's a, it is at the end of the day, like the good thing about real estate is that there's, there's a lot of parts to it. That's like, it's directly correlated with how hard you're willing to work. Mm. And if you, if you grind, there's, there's generally, there's some success that can follow that most often. I love it. Perfect lead into the Dallas question as someone who, you know, one of my favorite, um, people to come on here was Mike Ablon. Uh, we did, I think two, a year or two ago and he, you know, he's just a multi-generational Dallas guy that sees different visions. And I think, you're on a different side where you guys are both, you know, just the heart and soul of the city. But where do you see our city of Dallas going? You know, I was kind of thinking about this as I was writing a few notes just to kind of go, where, where do I think Dallas goes? And, and in our business, in our company, we always think about history. It's kind of that's in many ways, like history is kind of what guides us forward. And I mean, you kind of read the story of John Lee Bryan, which was basically a huckster who kind of recruited people to come to Dallas with an idea that there was going to be this amazing river that never came to fruition. But, I mean, there is something about the DNA of this city that is just entrepreneurial, and people will fight and claw to figure things out. And so I, I, I've seen that over and over and over again, from Johnny Lee Bryan to Trammell Crow to Mike Ablon to, I mean, like it just keeps going, right? And so... I, I think the future of the city is interesting as you see a lot of these folks coming in from West Coast, East Coast. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see how our values change. But one that I don't think will 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 change is like this is just a can-do city where people start businesses, they figure out a way to do it. And so if I were betting on any market in the country, I'd almost say like singly, where do I think that value exists? I think it exists here. I think it exists in Nashville. I actually think it exists in Silicon Valley. Very different other values. But I do think people in those cities go, hey, there's just, I'm just going to make it. Like these musicians that fly in with a guitar and clothes on their back and then go, I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to play every dive bar until I get a shot. Like That kind of grit, there's something about that. I feel like you pick those cities, Detroit, by the way. I don't know how that you'd ever think that would have come back, but it's just it's just that that thing, like we're survivors. We're going to figure it out. We're going to make it. The, that culture, I feel like the history of it is what will carry us. Rudy. Let's Rudy. Go. Let's go. I love it, man. I think, I think it's true. I think Dallas has become – you know, it, it's more of a melting pot than it was five years ago. Yeah. And I think that it's fun to watch the city just evolve, you know, where the people that like my parents have not really appreciated, like maybe people that are like our age or, you know, maybe that are imports because we do have different districts now. We do yeah. have, you know, it's an eclectic city where yeah. it's not necessarily New York or L.A., but it's our own version where yeah. Dallas doesn't just have this typical, you know, real estate two real estate guys talking. I mean, it's not yeah. just that. And even if it is, it's not the old white men like you were talking about, there's diversity. And I think that's been so fun to watch to watch happen. Uh, outside of work, let's talk about the stuff that, to bring it back to the pre-show. <laughs> you know, sure. what would you consider your passions and your calling as a man of faith, as a husband and a dad? You know, what do you get excited about? Yeah, well, th- those things, I mean, they're not, not a ton of hobbies. I'm not a hobby guy. Yeah. Like the things I like, uh, I-, I like getting passionate about an idea that moves the needle. So whether that's that was diversity for a season or whether it was Prop A a few months ago or whether it's the bond campaign that's coming, those are things where I can go, I, I'll get passionate about an idea and say, Let, we're going all in and we're just going to push and fight and rally the troops to say, this needs to happen, let's go. So those are things that I've, I've found for me, those are just windows and doors that kind of open here and there that I go, okay, we're in. And so I think the lesson, by the way, that I've learned from that is that if you are too tied, if you're on, if you're on a hundred different boards, then when that door opens, you can't get passionate about it. You're like, well, I got, I got to go to this board meeting, I got to do that thing, I got to do this thing. Um, I've been real fortunate to serve on the Dallas Employees Retirement Fund board, and that's one where it's like, hey, that was a door that opened because I didn't have other obligations I was overly committed to, and I can look at that and say, look, the hardest working guys in our city, the guys that are picking up our trash, the guys that are doing jobs that are thankless, the guys that are down in the city hall, it's like, all right, to be able to steward their resources, try to set them up in a position where they can have a retirement, like that's that's something I can get passionate about. So those are probably the things that I, I look at more and go outside of work. I love those things. Coaching, uh, I get a little intense. <laughs> a little intense. I like coaching. I love coaching. What I sport? coach all the kids' sports, basketball, baseball, football, soccer, know nothing about soccer. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I try to be a fan first, but, but I'll, I'm always the coach. So I, I, that, that's pretty fun. I'm praying our kids are terrible athletes. <laughs> I, I, my wife was a great athlete and yeah. never failed at anything. And I never made the team on anything. And I just, I literally hope that if y'all are watching this, please just don't be great athletes because then it's, it could be fun for me. Yeah. Um, go. so, uh, you know, throughout your career, again, you've had, you're, you're born into the family that is just, you're born into a legacy, whether you embrace it or not, which you did. 
you know, you've done this, but how, how have you found ways to stay true to yourself and your brand and like the hat and your look? I mean, like you, you own, you're, I'm serious, you own your look. Yeah. And I think that people really appreciate that. But what are your tricks and tips for people that are, you know, just trying to figure this out along the way? How do you stay true to yourself with this journey? Well, I, the, I mean, I'm kind of like shrugging because I, I feel like there's only one answer. I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a true to yourself. I think there's a true to your God that you serve. Like, you know, the, the, the self will deceive you. Self will decide, I, sh- I should do this, I should chase that, I should go after this, I should conquer that. Um, and I think that that's a, I've proved, at least from my own heart, I've proven that I'm not a good guide for myself. My own gut instinct, my own, those things are not good. But the spirit in me, like knowing Christ as my Savior, saying, okay, every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, spend time with the Lord, I'm going to pray, those are things that are like that's what I want to stay true to. That's that's what ought to be kind of the north star. That ought to be what guides us. So, um, and and I, you know I don't. It's not a thing you want to uh, you want to create a list of things to do because that's not the way it's not the way it works. He takes us for who we are. But at the end of the day, he's given us a love letter letter in scripture that I can go. Hey, I want to know what that says, and I want that to guide me. So when I'm making decisions, I'm not going. Hey, what do I think? <laughs> What's my best instinct on this? Like in the pandemic, there were a couple things where, you know, we get these these uh, funds from the government to try, and there was a couple ways to handle that. You can either use that to shore up the real estate, or you can say, hey, we're we're going to make a tougher call, and we're going to say we're passing that right through to the people in the hotel that need it. And that was a a lot of people didn't make that call, but that to, for us to be honest was probably a pretty easy decision. It was like, well, that that's. The, our real estate's the last thing we're worried about. These people have been working for us for decades in these hotels. That's who that needs to go to. And so those are types of things where that there's moments like that where your faith becomes very real. And you, if you're trusting your own decision, you're saying, hey, that's tough for them, but we got to preserve the real estate. We got to preserve this thing that we built. Mm. Maybe a different look. Two more questions. Um, what's next for... Wood buying and for Dupree, the business guy. <laughs> um, well, so we're we're in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. So our view is that um, steady growth is kind of the, the the way for us to continue to build Woodbine. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, you know, if you got a goal to be to make it another fifty years, like you're making decisions differently. If you've got a goal to be the biggest within five years, you have a different set of decisions you're making. Our goal is to be an enduring company, and that means we we hire slow, we 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 train people differently, we make decisions on deals differently. And so, I think the short answer to your question within that context would be: Hey, we're gonna we are going to diversify into other product type. Hotel will always be kind of our bread and butter. That's that's kind of who we are. That's who our DNA is. But we want to push into those other segments. And I found the best way to do that is hire the champions who really are skilled in those specific segments, like Alexis, and say, hey, let, let, like let's empower you with our platform to go be successful here. So hopefully we can do that within industrial. Hopefully we can do that within multifamily. Um, and I think we can continue to build that hotel business, which may be might look a little different. It might not be big resorts. It might be some of these smaller hotels that we've been getting involved with. Mm, I love it. You're always on the move, always agile, always paying attention. <laughs> uh, best advice you've ever received? Oh, man. Uh, it probably always come down to marriage um, because, uh, you know, I, I used to kind of, I, I was almost like had a 
reaction when somebody would say happy wife, happy life, I would always say that's the dumbest thing. I always just thought Until it was Until you're dumb. married. Yeah, and it yeah. just seemed like it, se- it seemed over cliche to me. And then there was a guy who kind of um, who was kind enough to kind of jump in when my wife and I were just kind of just ma- we'd been married for 14 years and just parts about the marriage that were kind of like just just kind of got complacent I think in the way weren't pursuing each other weren't doing a lot of things probably the way we should have and he was he was and and by the way like plus all the things that were going on in the business there was a lot of anxiety that I was struggling with and and he kind of he basically said look like have you, like let's like really break that phrase down like what are you doing to really build into your marriage and pursue her and if you if you think about you know that being the the kind of center of all those other things that are going on around you it was remarkable that advice to be able to say invest in the marriage and so what his what I and this was actually from this same man but it was years before he said 10 minutes a day one day a week one night a month that was just that simple 10 minutes a day just talk mm. eye to eye you know converse then it was then it was one day a week do a date night and then it was one night a month like if you can find some way hmm. to to go somewhere together not bahamas maybe san antonio maybe downtown dallas maybe like, the hyatt hill country that's right let's you know, go just, just it, putting it in there use the name dupree go, for go a free website. breakfast we'll yes. put a catalog or a yeah. code name uh uh yeah rogers yeah, please. Get yeah. <laughs> <Could> you booted. <laughs> but th- that—that's the best advice I ever heard. Was was investing in your marriage with a that. strategy, and it's doable. Ten minutes a day, one night a week, or one, one day to a week, one night a month. One night a month. I love that. Well, Abby and I are getting sushi tonight, which I know. Oh, you not love for sushi. lunch. Yeah, we're going to Shensei. Yeah, I, I charged Rogers three hundred dollars for a lunch. Yeah, we had to the sushi. world's. He we got a tuna boat, or he got a sashimi boat. boat. I was like, wow, you, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm aloha. <laughs> Take I'm, advantage. I'm buying this. Actually, last question: How do we support you? How do we support Woodbine? How do we go and help the fifty years that are ahead of us? What, what's our job as your friend and as your supporter? Amazing. For yeah, well, first of all, thanks for asking. Um, follow me on LinkedIn, whatever that handle is. At Dupree School, probably. Um, no, I think I think the we we want here, the the short version that I always tell folks when they ask me that is I say we want like-hearted investors, like real simple. We want investors who see the world in much in many of the ways we do. Doesn't mean Christian, you know, people. It means it's the Mike Ablons of the world. It's men like that, women like that, families like that who say, hey, we. We've got a vision for something that's longer, that's bigger. Um, we, we've been fortunate to, to provide really good returns for our investors. But that's the thing for me. We, we've looked to grow our business with other families who line up with what we're about. And so I'm always on the road looking for those folks. I love it. Man, you're such a stud. You're, well, yeah, you, I don't know. You know yourself really well. And, and I think that it seems like you know your weaknesses too, which I think is almost as important or more important Oof. than knowing your strengths. Yeah, there are many, but but uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, no, fun. great job, man. Thanks for the preparation. Lastly, the hat. Let's talk about the hat. Where do we go <laughs> and buy that hat? I'm sure you get this question all the time. <laughs> the hat was, again, it was part of the family legacy, right? I remember at lunch, you're saying your grandpa it used was. to wear a hat and you Both wanted to go. Both grandfathers. My grandfather on my mom's side was a big animal veterinarian in Brady, Texas. Mm-hmm. He was kind of a famous, I mean, a, a very well-known vet. If you had a, I mean, like, you know, nobody here would have known him. But if you're a rancher in Goldthwaite, you're like, hey, I got one guy to call who can help me deliver this calf at 2 a.m. 
They're not calling uh, me. Yeah. And and so my grandfather jumps in the truck. Sometimes he'd throw my mom in the car with him, and they just they drive and they'd go and he'd deliver this calf. But he always wore a hat. And so about ten years ago, I just kind of, for whatever reason, I I, I had uh, I put this hat on, which was kind of like one that my grandfather had on. And then I just kind of said, well, you know, I'm just going to own it. And so, I, so the thing is, like, when you wear a hat, you can't halfway it. You can't, like, okay, I'm going I'm to wear it once every, mm. you know, when I go to Fort Worth yeah. <laughs> or yeah. whatever. Like, you got So for me, it was like, it's either we're going all, and then it's kind of like the way I work anyway. It's either all chips in or all chips out. So whether I'm, it doesn't matter, grocery store, Starbucks, donuts, you know, whatever. And, and by the way, there's a full head of hair underneath the hat. This yeah, is not Brett Michaels and a bandana. It, it yeah, works. We got a little, a little flow. I love it. You know. um, the last question, which is the heaviest. Was, this is the fourth last question. Uh, this is the last question. And this is going to hit you hard, and I want you just to answer it honestly. Am I going to cry now? Maybe. We've been through that. May I ask it? Sure. Would you consider a mustache? Oh, man. I, I think puberty next year. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a good feeling. The mustache would look so good with the hat. I think 42 years later, like next year's puberty for me. And then I can maybe. Okay. But I have not gotten past like criminal status. Really? When it's just, when I try it, it's, it is offensive. But with the hat, the mustache would be such a compliment. I did try it one time. And, and if, like if the camera's real far away. Then, and there's enough wax to like push the oh, did you try strings to... together? No, no, I couldn't. Oh, there was no chance. Like for tombstone? That. No, just to make it look like there was something there. I, I mean, I, I needed like a, a mascara pen to make it. Like it would have been that bad. Well, it's it's offensive. We'll see you next year. Uh, <laughs> thanks for doing this, man. I'm, I'm so grateful to be your friend and yeah, you're such a great leader. And thanks for what you do for well, the city and for the kingdom, more importantly. There you go. That's what we're about.